been thinking a lot about the Thanos snap. The Thanos snap? The Thanos, Thanos is in snap. the Avenger. Okay, yeah, right. all right, yeah. Right, from the last two uh, Avengers I think, did movies. I just say Avenger as though it were a singular? Uh, yeah. Yes, the, that's like just a dad trying to be involved. <laughs> what are you reading, son, Avenger? <laughs> are you? That's like that line from uh, from Arrested Development, Doug. Here's some money, go see a Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars! Oh, it was such a well-written <laughs> I show. I don't remember that yeah. joke. Go so yeah, I've been thinking Wars. a lot about the Thanos snap. He could he, So at one point in Avengers Endgame, he, okay. Thanos says that he can wipe out half of all life with the snap of a finger. Yes. And for the rest of the movie, and the entire next movie after that, the whole mission for the Avengers is to keep him from physically snapping his fingers. And I sat there thinking about that because Thanos' power is such that he doesn't really need to physically snap his no, fingers. He could, as far as I know, with the power stones, you could just think it and it's he could done, just, right? Yeah, he could just... He, it, that's just it. And, and because he used that idiom, the whole rest of the movie is predicated around keeping Thanos from snapping. And then I thought... Thank goodness he used that idiom. What if he had used a completely different idiom? Okay, I already see the comedic potential of this. Go For ahead. What example, are you thinking? What if Thanos looked him dead in the eye and said, I could wipe out half of humanity in two shakes of a lamb's tail? The whole the rest of the movie would be them, you know, like like Iron Man uh, trying to find mutton by the truckload. And, and from the looks of Thor in the second half, Thor just eats them all. You know, there's there. What if he would have said? What if he would have said uh, a, a completely different idiom, right? I had them all written down here, and I can't <laughs> find them. Oh, Grandpa's having a moment with his bit. Okay, go ahead. But it, what if it was all? What was it? What What if it was completely different? What if I could? Oh, what if Thanos goes? What if? What if I could wipe, wipe out a half of all life in a jiffy? And then the rest of the movie is them arguing if he should have said Giffy. Uh, <laughs> I like the idea, though, that, like, Thanos, the inner insecure teenager, he's like, the only thing that could stop me from wiping out half the life in the universe is a sincere warm hug that made me feel welcome. <laughs> and, like, the whole movie is them trying to tell him, like, you're an okay guy. Here's a hug. Here's, no, you shan't hug me. And, you know, Thor, Hulk. Really, I don't want any hugs. No, 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 no hugs for me. But it, but it's also Thanos kind of doing the shoulder, like the hands kind of open for a hug. Like you know, maybe I would take a hug. Kind of waggling the eyebrows a little bit at Black Widow. Come it on, is interesting though, Brad. From a storytelling perspective, you need to make the physicality of a snap, or else that story falls apart. You can't have it be a mental switch That's where just he just they, literally thinks all life is gone. They had uh, to do it, but but what if? You know, but what if he would have said, I, I could wipe out all of life in a blink of an eye? What if it's also... Them, they're like holding his eyes open. In true 90s movies fashion, what if it was also like product placement? Well, if I enjoy this delicious Diet Coke, then uh, half the universe gets wiped out. No! Keep that up from drinking my Diet Coke! Somebody get this guy a Fanta! Hide the refreshing coolness of a diet. Like the, the product placement is so clear. Hide the refreshing, cool aspect of a diet coke from Thanos. Yeah, it's it's really weird. Thank goodness they went with snap. Out of all the uh, out of the, all the options, it's probably best they went with snap. Uh, no, don't let him crunk. He's crunking. No, there goes the universe. <laughs>
<laughs> on that note, I'm going to say hello. I guess on that note, hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, editor of webcomics.com and cartoonist of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's Hour of Comics Advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. The one thing we didn't talk about uh, since it happened was the temporary halt in voting on the Eisners, by the way. Oh, uh, where have you that seen is, that? That is quite a thing, my friend, when there is a data breach like that. <sighs> that is oh, that's great. weird. Well, you've I, gotten the you've gotten the replacement email by now, right? By now we've got. And by the way, we record this a couple weeks in advance, so who knows? The winners might have already been announced by this point. But yeah. by the time you're listening to this, but as as we're recording right now, the Eisners have sent out a new, hopefully more secure website using everyone's previous logins, yeah. and has basically said, "Hey, we're going to start the voting over again. Sorry about that." <laughs> and that, from what I understand, uh, it's not really clear how much data was breached. And but the idea that all of our addresses and emails and potentially phone numbers, uh, and I say this as an older dude who has not been harassed online. Yeah. It's not great that that right. has gotten, that's the exact opposite of great that's because we it. have friends who are very much harassed online for their mm -hmm. cartooning. And it is, uh, it's a dangerous thing when data gets breached like that, you know? And they haven't been forthcoming with giving a lot of answers towards that. No, I, they I, have I, I get not. that they don't want to talk about it. I get that that's uncomfortable. And I and I get that they probably legally have to be very careful what they say because they probably have some attorney whispering in their ears saying, you know, if you say this, it opens us up to that. The liability, but, yeah. But at some point, I I I it, it would make me feel better, and and a lot of the people I'm sure listening to the show would feel better if they could get a handle on just the extent of what was breached, so right. that they can protect themselves. And you know, I think a lot of it is. Um, because I'm guilty of this as well. Mm -hmm. Once you get an, a website up and running, sometimes it's like just the molasses <laughs> of like, I don't want to change it. It's working. Oh. It's fine. Oh, and but, you don't want to touch, because when you touch, it's like nailing jello to the wall. If you change this, then that's got to be changed. And if you change that, the other thing now, it doesn't work and needs to be updated. It's, yeah. it's, I, it's, I get that it's a, so it's I, a headache. Yeah, exactly. I understand that EisnerVote.com hasn't been updated in what, what looks to me like 10 years or Blah. so. I, yeah, that it was looks like some old software site. and old yeah. gr graphical user interface. But uh, the problem with that is that there's security problems if you don't update. And um, anyway, uh, we have no real resolution now. Uh, what I imagine, though, Brad, is going to happen is they're going to complete the vote. That'll get done. They'll announce the Eisners. And then a week or two later, they'll probably say, so here's what happened. You know, don't yeah. you think that's what I think is going to happen? I would hope that they would, uh, because I, I the other option is that they just try to sweep it under the carpet. And and that's not that's not a great I don't think that's a great way to, to handle it, you know. But yeah, I keep thinking of that that novel title, Things Fall Apart, because right now, unfortunately, everything in the world is falling apart. Like basic, <laughs> basic stuff. It's just like, please work. Like the other day, I went to drill something with my power drill and the damn thing broke. And I was like, come 
Come on, Power Drill. On. Just not you two. Come on. <laughs> you Power Drill, you were the one tool that I could count on. You just made you made things spin. It's all I really wanted you to do. Well, I know that sounds so trivial, but it's like when when everything in your life is starting to fall apart, yeah. sometimes the basic like the when a screwdriver oh. breaks in your hand, you're like, not you two. Come on. They say that I mean, I I, I forget where I read this, but it, it was part of a larger narrative. But it said people usually don't you know mentally snap because somebody want you know hit their car or come up and and tweak their nose what happens is all of life's little things build up and then you're tying your shoes and the laces snap and that's what sends you over the edge yes, it's not the I think big that's stuff what, yeah. it's the little stuff that comes as a culmination because all this other stuff is just built up underneath and and you're holding it all in and you know what? I think there's something to that because we steal ourselves against like, all right, pandemic. I'm I'm, oh, I'm stealing right. myself against that. All right? right. Possible depression. I'm stealing myself against that. Social injustice. I'm stealing myself against that. And then you're like, shoelace breaks. God damn it. I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> what am I going to do? I, <laughs> yeah. I, that's it. I'm going right back to the Velcro shoes like and mom used just buy me when I was an eight. It's just me weeping in the corner over the dang shoelace. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. But anyway, uh, it's um, I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, the uh, the drill got me the other day. Anyway, so Eisner votes. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. And it's a shame yeah. for this year's, uh, and I don't just say this because I'm on there. It's a shame for this year's crop that, that, uh, that why are you, Brad, has the most grandmotherly oh, smile. What no, is I, this no, no, smile no, no. that I'm, you're... Because I, 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 obviously... And if somebody wins, it puts an asterisk by their name. But I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to bring that up because I hope you win this year, and I don't want you to think that that I, I give you any less credence if you do win. No, but it, yeah, but it does well, it, put an asterisk by one's name now. It it does. It does. But uh, it's anyway. I uh, on a semi volunteer basis, I just feel bad that I know some of them are professionals uh, yeah. in the Eisners, and I know, but I know that there's a lot of volunteers too. And there's a, in general at Comic Con, there's a lot of volunteerism uh, for that organization. And yeah, just as someone who loves comics, I I just feel bad. I don't know a better way to say this. I just yeah. Like in general, in life right now, I just have a lot of feelings, as I'm sure you do, and I just feel yeah. bad that this is happening. Uh, That's just it. It would almost be easier if this was malicious. <laughs> like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, like if this was malicious, if they had purposefully tried to do something underhanded, then this would be easy. You could shake your fist with righteous indignation. But from from firsthand and secondhand experience. All we've ever heard from these people are they're great people who love comics. And like you said, volunteers and people whose hearts are in the right place. Uh, it, it, it may, <laughs> I, I would almost wish that they were Disney villains sitting in the corner, you know, twirling their mustaches. It would right, make this much easier. You and I, as storytellers, were also on some levels empathetic. Yeah. And so I assume there are people in their life that might be sick with COVID. I assume right. there are people in their life that just got laid off. Yeah. I assume that they are anxiously going to sleep every night, worried about relatives, right? As right. are we all. Right. And so like, they're also at the same time, like, ah, how do we keep the Eisners going? And I just feel bad for them that this happened. I know yeah. that it is a terrible thing to have data breached. I know that it puts some people at risk, but I just feel bad for everyone involved. And that's where my takeaway is. It's no here's, grand answer to this, but I just feel bad. Here, and here's the thing that just makes it extra bad. Speaking of everything breaks, this breakdown that we already said the site was old the site you know it, it was it, it hadn't been updated in a long time for reasons right. that it, again like dave said if you've ever run a website you know exactly why it hadn't been updated this problem could have happened any year for right. it to happen this year 
is just extra horrible (laughs) because already everybody's up to here with trying to to just get through life. Going to the grocery store is is all of a sudden you've got to you've got to plan that trip out and figure out how you're going to do and what you're going to do. And 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 and, but if this would have happened any other year, it would have been like, oh, yeah, well, geez, that's a bummer. But we're (laughs) happening this year. It just makes it 10 times worse. I know. I know. So my heart uh, goes out to uh, everybody involved in the sense of. And I, I would just advise everyone that just be kind in the situation because I, yeah. I really do think that everyone's trying their best in, in what can only be imperfect situations. And I know yeah. we might want to go towards righteous indignation, but, and maybe that's the case. Maybe there was a, 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 a reason for righteous indignation of being angry about this, but I don't mm-hmm. think so. I think it's just, listen, the world's falling apart at the moment and everyone's trying their best um, is probably what the answer is. Yeah. Um, anyway. Huh, on that very not fun note, I should say uh, we have a fantastic guest on the show, Brad, this week, and I'm excited to to talk uh, comics with him. Uh, but before that, I want to say a huge thank you and a welcome uh, to our sponsors this week of Wacom over at WACOM.com, makers of the new Wacom One yes. and Intuos and Cintiqs. Um, but specifically for those that are thinking about it, we would uh, highly recommend, because both Brad and I have one in our studio, the Wacom One. Portable, around $400 price point, uh, fantastic in terms of both professional, pro-am, and amateur use. Um, and uh, and so Wacom over at WACOM.com and the new Wacom One. Absolutely. And if you go to the Comic Lab uh, Discord channel, which I strongly recommend, you'll see one of our backers, Dave, has bought, I think, a Cintiq 22 and okay. is currently showing it off. Uh, the, the latest update was uh, they posted a, an image uh, and they were working on their comic on it. And they said now, and I love this comment, now they feel like they finally become an official cartoonist. <laughs> 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 and, and like we always say on this show, you don't need anything to feel like an official cartoonist. But it, it, but I do resonate with that idea of, oh, man, I feel like I just leveled up <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because I've had that feeling, too. Absolutely. Well, Brad, the light is blinking, so let's welcome our guest onto the show. Let me hit a switch, turn a knob, and here we go. Well, Brad, I'm super excited to welcome onto the show. We are super excited to welcome onto the show Terry Blass of terryblass.com, and that's T-E-R-R-Y-B-L-A-S.com, terryblass.com. Terry, thank you for coming onto the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to do this, to be here. Oh, and this is, this is my first time I get to talk to you, Terry. Likewise, I'm very glad I'm speaking to you. I've heard your voice many times through your podcast. <laughs> so nice to meet you. you now, just out of curiosity, Terry, does the face match the voice uh, And now that you're seeing him? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, Terry. <laughs> I so put you on the spot, Terry. Listen, I'm Terry, sorry. If, if you're going to start the show with an insult, we're going to have real problems. <laughs> <laughs> the, the f- the fact that you view that as an insult says more about you than it does about me. I know, Brad. There's a lot of insecurity. I think the word handsome was right on everyone's lips. Oh, That's what was right yeah. on the edge of everyone being said, Brad. And you internalized that as, as, a, as an insult. Anyway, Terry, thank you for coming on the show. I am super excited. Terry and, and I, Brad, first met uh, a few weeks a few weeks back, a few years back at Emerald City Comic Con. Time doesn't mean anything um, anymore. I know. No, it and, certainly uh, doesn't. I know. It's true. that We're living one eternal day now. 
Um, and uh, I, uh, immediately, you know how some personalities in comics you just tell you like right away? Yeah, you just hit it right off with Yeah, them. Terry has a kindness, both in, I actually would say, Terry, and I hope you take this as a compliment I intend, that you have a kindness in your art as well. Yeah. Your art has a humanity and a kindness that, that comes through, and I think um, that is actually one of the nicer things we can do with our art is to express love of fellow humans and kindness and your lo- your art is riddled with kindness so that yeah, also comes you. through in your personality but anyway welcome to the show <laughs> didn't mean to unload too much on the <laughs> on the first sentence there but um so terry when when um when we first met we chatted a bit about like your route in in comics but i don't know much about your beginning days in comics um and so it's always fun to hear what were the comics that sparked you as a kid into a love of comics wanting to do comics um, and, 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 and there, um, as a kid, I discovered Calvin and Hobbes. Like I think a lot of other people did. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also, the comics that were in the back of Disney adventures magazine and those ended up, I mean, there were several, but the one that ended up really kind of imprinting with me was bone. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. so, you know, I own everything bone now. I, <laughs> I have a bone stuffed doll. I've got fi- the figurines. I've got it all, but, um, oh, wow. you've got the figurines. Wow. <laughs> I've got that's little great. figurines. And, yeah. Um, but those really imprinted on me because I think they were, um, I've said this many times before in like other interviews and stuff, but I think, um, you know, comics and cartoons are, I think something in the United States that are still viewed as entertainment for children, whereas in mm-hmm. other countries they aren't sometimes. And it was interesting for me as a kid to see these cartoony looking, you know, comics that look like they were intended for children, but that dealt with deeper kind of themes and ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, Brad and I have talked about this before, but why do you think the the U.S. and Canada, to some extent, um, keeps comics in that sort of pen as as for kids only, or this is a product for kids or intended for kids? Just out of curiosity, in your mind, why do you think culturally that happened here versus in Europe? You know, I don't know. That's it's kind of always been baffling to me, but I think um, I could I could have something to do with maybe the fact that like comic books were inexpensive so they were easier for children to afford and buy yeah. you know yeah, and so yeah, then yeah. they were seen as these you know people used to call them funny books mm-hmm. <laughs> like as these like this light entertainment cartoons i think um because most kids love to draw i think kids are drawn to cartoons and their vibrancy and you know and whatnot and so i think people will tend to be like all right i'm gonna put cartoons on for my kid since it captivates them and right. then it could have mutated from there. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's I, I think I think there's something to that. That's 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 true. So uh, teenage Terry, what was what was what were those years of comics for you? Or were there was uh-huh. there a period of drifting <laughs> away from comics and coming back? Or what was that? What was the teen years, teen and 20 years? So how standard is this response? As a kid, as a teenager, I was a teenager when the um, X-Men cartoon aired, right? X-Men animated series. This yes, is the, this is cueing like, Brad mm-hmm. singing the theme song. Go ahead, <laughs> Brad. Right. Get it out of here. So so here's a here's One a fun little fact. One of the best theme songs um, of all animation, right there. I still need someone to do a mashup of Whitney Houston's "Whatever You Want from Me." I'm giving you Oh my everything. god, that's right. <laughs> oh yeah. my god, tonight. I never put that together. <laughs> I mean, I'm gay, so I put that together real quick. But, <laughs> but, but um, I discovered that I watched the whole series, and that actually led me to go well. This is based on a comic. What, you know, like, what are the other adventures that they go on? So the first, you know, single issue floppy that I purchased was an X-Men Adventures comic book, which was a 
like a retelling of one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. And it had, oh, Ro- it had okay. Rogue on the cover, like about to beat up Pyro. Um, and from there, I started purchasing like the Jim Lee run of X-Men and reading that. And I got sucked into all of the X-Men stuff. I also discovered, um, I was at the perfect age for like the cliffhanger stuff. So like Battle Chasers, Crimson, Danger Girl, Gen 13, kind of those comics. Yeah. And yeah. I just devoured those. Um, so yeah, I really loved those and didn't really as a teenager sort of even conceive of the idea that comics could be more ed- like autobio or educational. Like that didn't mm-hmm. kind of cover anything in my mind. But uh, which is funny because that's sort of what I do now. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I was just going to say is that you're known for that series that you did on Vox.com where you talked about the difference between uh, the term Latino and mm-hmm. Hispanic, for example. And so, and there's a lot that you do that's uh, both autobiographical and uh, educational. What threw the switch in your mind that you, one could do, go from one thing to another? What threw that uh, that autobio switch? So I was really inspired by a few comic artists who I saw doing autobio stuff. One was Emmy Lennox with her book, Emmy Town. Mm-hmm. And another was my good friend, Natalie Norigat. And she had done a book called Between Gears, which covered like one day per page of her whole college, you know, life. Um, and at the time I really wanted to do something autobio, but I was not out to my parents who are Mormon. So I didn't, I I couldn't do autobio and be honest because I didn't want my parents to find out I was gay through like a comic on the internet. Right. Uh, Right. And so eventually, you know, the story goes, I came out to them and whatever. And then, and then, Living in the whitest major city in the country, I encountered a lot of people who didn't know the difference between the terms Latino and Hispanic and thought, well, I could do a little comic about this and talk about sort of my upbringing and how I like I'm I consider myself bicultural, biracial. My dad is, you know, from Idaho and my mom is from a little town outside of Mexico City. And so. Growing up. That's a story well, right there, by the way. Well, Idaho and, and just yeah. outside of Mexico City. That's all. I'm working on an autobio book. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> but uh, she's from a town called Ameca Mecca, which is about an hour and a half outside of Mexico City at the base oh, of a volcano. It's at the so you've probably heard of Puebla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Puebla is at the base of a volcano called Popocatépetl and Ixtasiwa. There's two volcanoes there, and on the other side of the volcano is my mom's hometown. Um, yeah, but. Uh, just my, quick my par- sideline. How active is that volcano? Just out of curiosity, it or is it super dead? All the time. No, mom- Terry, oh, never yeah. go, never go visit relatives. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't been in quite a while. My mom visits all the time. Uh, and she'll, okay. she, she, when I was little, she would come back with like a little uh, vial of ash because it snows ash. Oh mm-hmm. no! So yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, all right. Right. Anyway, but uh, I forgot where I was going with that tangent. I don't know. I'm so, so sorry anyway, to sidetrack you. No, that's fine. The Latino Hispanic thing. So growing up, I, you know, I grew up in between Boise, Idaho, and then a bunch of different cities in Mexico. And so it was it was interesting to me to sort of encounter many people here who didn't know the difference. And I thought, well, I'll just make a little mini comic, talk about my upbringing and why those terms are different and what they mean to me. You know, I didn't. It was a quick lesson in like oh, I did a six-page mini-comic, and there are going to be a lot of people upset because this isn't like a 60-page dissertation on the subject. Right, right, Um, right. 
So that's sort of how that came about. That was what got me, I think, noticed by a lot of people because of it that. It got spread very, I mean, on uh, different parts of my, uh, what's what's the way to say it, social media feeds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it would come across in different ways multiple yeah. times. So I credit that with uh, a, a friend of mine. Her name's Claire. She's uh, Claire Hummel. She's known for like the historically accurate Disney princess illustrations. Right, yeah. right. So when Tumblr was a thing, she reblogged my comic there. And I woke up to like 25,000 <laughs> reblogs. Wow. And so I think that's what got it known. And then Vox.com contacted me asking if they could run it. And then from there, I said, let's do some more comics together. So I did another one called um, You Say Latinx, because I found a lot of people don't know what that term means either. Right. Um, Because for for a lot of Americans who only speak one language, the idea of a language being gendered is like this crazy, insane thing they don't understand. I'm like, no, the moon is a woman. (laughs) You don't get get, it. So... Um, and that there's different words for the, you know, depending on masculine, feminine. So to do a comic about you say Latinx and to say, this is, you know, this is just a term that gender fluid and gender non-binary people can use and still feel included was important to me because so many people, I think within the Latino, Latinx, Latina community seem very reactionary to it. Yeah. As like, well, I'm not going to say that. And it's like, well, if you don't identify as gender non-binary, gender, you don't need to identify yourself with the X. It's fine. Right. Um, but um, my latest comic with Vox was about um, speaking, people who get upset when they hear a language spoken in the United States that's not English. Mm-hmm. And that was important for me in an autobio sense because it was something that... Um, I now experience, like, I've, I've never had someone scream or yell at me, but I speak in Spanish on the phone to my mom. And yeah, yeah. she, you know, w- after coming out, we had somewhat, somewhat of a strained relationship, but now we speak quite a bit. So I was on the Portland streetcar and answered the phone and said, you know, hola mamá, ¿cómo estás? ¿Qué estás haciendo? Whatever. And someone looked at me kind of weird. <laughs> and so yeah. I had a moment of like, oh, is this, do, do I need to start recording? Is this going right, to happen right. to me? Right. Um, yeah. And I was like, I was like, you're, you're, if you're, if you think you're about to mess with an angry gay Mexican who's seen every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer at least five times, and that you're going to win, <laughs> you're not. Um, and so I realized, like, on the flip side of that, my mom is, you know, a tiny Mexican woman living in Boise, Idaho, and if she's on the phone talking to me and she's at like the grocery store, I don't want right. someone right to, you know, right. right the way to her. So I felt like this was a strong sort of topic I could cover and have be educational while at the same time being autobio because the, the United States doesn't have an official language. Right. It, it doesn't like, wait, they, is that never we, stuck, don't have, we never have declared. Yep, uh, they've never declared an official language. Oh. And there's a lot of push between and see, I love the idea of like, write what you know, but I also love the idea of write what you want to know because mm-hmm. by doing these comics, now I understand a lot more that there are, you know, yeah. Republican right-wing senators who are attempting to make English the, national language with the excuse that it will help immigrants assimilate better, <laughs> you know, because of paperwork, I guess. Right. Which, right. Right. And, and, you know, maybe it would, but at the same time, it's like, you know, we're one of the only country, I think we're probably one of the only countries that doesn't teach or force, um, you know, students to really learn, really learn another language. Mm-hmm. You know, it was sort of shocking to my husband that like when we went to Mexico city for a trip, 
all of my friends that I had made online that he met there spoke English. And he was like, what? I was like, they, te- they teach that in school here. <laughs> like, yeah, right, you know. right. Well, the funny so. thing about anyone who speaks a second language, and it's always interesting mentally to play this game, is that, uh, you know, a lot of people will assume, oh, they're not, they're not very smart because they're stumbling their way through English. Well, the, the, the thing is, not only do they know every word you know in a different language, they know 10, 20, 30,000 words in English additional to every word you know in another language. Like, what I'm saying is they are actually smarter than you oh, yeah. in, in, when it comes to linguistic arts. Yeah, and, my, and yet your, your perception is like, uh, if you're a racist person, is yeah. to be like, oh, they're a dummy or whatever it is. You know, you know it's it like, really, no, they actually know more than you. It really bothered me growing up because, my, you know, not so much anymore, but my mom had a really thick accent. And at home... Where, where she would speak Spanish, I found her to be so funny and mm. so bright yes, and yes. so interesting. And then when we would go out in public, it was like people viewed her as none of those things. Right. right. And I didn't like it. Anyway. I, can I just tell you, my, my um, grandmother-in-law, um, same thing. In Spanish, hilarious. Like, could bring down a room. So funny and warm. <laughs> and yet, you could see her mute herself in public. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. always broke my heart because she was intelligent, she was witty, she was insightful, she was had the best advice of anyone I've ever met in my life. And yet the world, the English-speaking world, didn't get to see that because she was she felt she needed to mute herself by the world uh, that that you know judged her on it. And yeah. so I know exactly what you're talking about with that regard. Um, I'm sorry, Terry, I cut you off. You were going to say, "Oh, you're fine." <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, so let me jump back into, so uh, 90s uh, X-Men uh, keeps, you, keeps you going through high school. That brings you into the comic world. Mm-hmm. And then college and, um, and beyond, what was that? Ter- well, first of all, you decided to go to art school, right? So t- t- yeah. talk, talk us through that. How, what was that journey like? So it, was, it took a long time to get to that point, but because I, I had been living in New York I, as a Mormon missionary in the Bronx. <laughs> and then after that, I moved to... Santa Clarita, um, and lived there for a while. I was attempting to apply to like Cal Arts or you know, right um, school there, and then I felt like this this is too expensive for me. And I had a really good friend who was um, already drawing comics in Portland, and she influenced me to move to Portland, saying you know it's cheaper, it's closer to Idaho, which you know if you're going to visit your family. And she had gone to uh, PNCA, which is Pacific Northwest College of Art, right, and so. It was one of those things where, you know, she flew down, we drove up to Portland, I stayed with her and all until I found a place. And a week after I moved to Portland, I somehow all in the same week got a job, got an apartment, and I got into art school. So I was like, I <laughs> wow. guess that's wow. a big week. That's yeah, a big I, week. <laughs> I was like, I guess it's meant to be. So <laughs> yeah. I started going there and I, I studied illustration. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there wasn't many comics instructional like courses. Yeah. But, you know, in my mind, I thought, well, if I'm going to draw comics, you got to draw, be able to draw everything. <laughs> so I may as well just do illustration and learn how to draw everything. Um, and because of that, I started college. I went to college for a year at the University of Idaho when I was like 18, 17, but didn't finish that because I moved to New York. And so when I started college again at art school, I was probably, I think, 25 and everybody else around me was 18. Oh, yeah. And so okay. I was at a point where I was like, I, uh, art school's great. It's fine. I want to be here, but I also want to get my degree and leave. Yeah. Having learned as much as I could. And it was eye opening to me that arts, you know, like there's, I felt like there was a big difference between someone who is dedicated to being an artist and this is going to sound terrible. 
And someone who won most artistic in high school and whose parents paid for them to go <laughs> yes, to college. Yes, and, and who at that point in their life might not necessarily even know what they want to do. Exactly. Like, this is the next step. And kind so of thing. Yeah. because I came from or come from a military family, my father's a retired colonel, I viewed the first year of art school as boot camp. And I said, how many people are not going to be here next year? Mm-hmm. And I looked around and half of them, more than half, were not there the next year. Yeah. And so for me, I feel like I got a lot out of art school because I put a lot into art school. Like I I I told my mom once, I was like, mom, just because you go to school, it doesn't make you smart. Just because you go to church, it doesn't make you a good person. (laughs) So it's what you put (laughs) into it. Which one of those two statements did she have the bigger problem with? (laughs) (laughs) Take a guess. (laughs) But, uh, But that was my whole point was like, you know, I'm I'm going to put as much into this as I can mm-hmm. so that I can reap the the benefits. And I feel like I got a lot out of art school because of what I put into it. Yeah. Well, I can I pause you for a second because I've never I've never come across someone who went to art school, not that you were old at the time, but older. Mm-hmm. And that seems like Brad, that could be a key difference for what we might recommend for younger people is like, take a minute, you know, yeah, maybe take a couple by years, work a job for a while and make sure you want to be an artist because like Terry's right. Like the fact that you, you probably, I can, I can imagine you versus the 19 year old in your class. You're like probably up late working on the drawing and the other one's like, you know, watching SpongeBob and also, right. you know, barely doing the assignment. Right. Um, like, I can imagine that that would be a key difference in going through art school. Is that just a couple years difference? Yeah. Uh, and, I, and, and, and desire to be an artist. Yeah, go ahead. That's, sorry, not sorry. To, oh, that's not to say that someone who's 18 or 19 can't, you know, put in the dedication and know who they are and what they want to do. Mm-hmm. But it's just the idea is to solidly put into your experience what you want to get out of it. I told myself when I get a homework assignment. I'm going to do it right away, like right away, right away, even if it's due like in two weeks, because then throughout the week you have, you know, six more classes and you get six more assignments. And so finishing them right away and being organized, I think, is what helped me, you know, get through art school in, in a sane way. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Well, let me tra- transition because art school is a good jumping off point because I would like to talk about your art style for a second. And by the way, if you haven't looked at uh, Terry's art style and you're listening in, uh, you can follow on Twitter, Instagram, again, on his we- website as well. But it's uh, T-E-R-R-Y-B-L-A-S uh, on Twitter and Instagram, right, Terry? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can have a look while we're talking on uh, at, at Terry's style. But um, one of the things that I didn't hear you mention, in, um, and especially given the time you grew up, did, did manga at any point enter your reading oh. world? Oh, I, I don't know Because how I, I feel like a strong manga influence in your work that it's, I find really endearing. And I was curious that I didn't hear any manga come so up. So I, I will say... I. I was mainly speaking, I guess, before about American comics. But when I was 16 years old, I discovered Ranma One Half. And it blew me away. Because I was like, this is about a a boy, but he can turn into a girl. But he's not really a girl because his brain is the same. It it was just nuts. And so (laughs) that that threw me into a Rumiko Takahashi, you know, tailspin of like Urusei Yatsura and... um, what was the one with the dog Inuyasha Inuyasha, and like all these, all these series that she had done. And I, I started learning a lot about her. Um, And so I wouldn't say that manga so much like as, as a, like genre, I guess, like influenced me, but definitely Rumiko Takahashi and her, I had whole notebooks filled with like Ranma one half characters. As an individual artist. Yeah. 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 
Because yeah, I, um, I, I, I hope you don't mind me saying that. I see, no, no. I see a, a through line in your work that has a bit of that influence in it. And I was like, I, I was curious that I hadn't heard it. You mentioned it. So that yeah, was... I do think it's kind of strange that like, if you, if you look up my artwork, like if it's an, a single image illustration, like I'm, I'm pretty, I guess like one of my more well-known pieces is this Aztec Wonder Woman that I drew. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's like photorealistic, but it's like a more realistic drawing as opposed to my comics, which when I do mini comics are very cartoony and sort of manga-y and, and round and <laughs> right, right. And so my, I think my style is sort of all over the place, but I don't know. I think it's okay. <laughs> no, but I think, I think one of the things that I think uh, manga did well and that Tintin did well, and maybe manga actually a little bit sprung, sprung off of Tintin, is that ability to, to within one title go from very caricatured, iconic drawings and then very realistic drawings. And American comics never really did that. Tintin Calvin did that. And Calvin and Hobbes did that a little bit. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yes, yeah. that's actually a good point. Mm-hmm. Calvin did that in a very Calvin way. But yes, he did do that. You're, you're making right. all sorts of connections for me I didn't consider before because Bone d- did that too with these cartoony characters and these intense backgrounds. And yeah, mm-hmm. and then they mm-hmm. would zoom in, Jeff mm-hmm. would zoom in on a sword or something and it would yeah. be incredibly, you're right. Yeah. Man, Terry, we're finding a through line <laughs> through all of these. This is, <laughs> but okay, so. So uh, with your art, one of the things that I uh, gravitate towards um, in reading through your stuff, um, and by the way, I don't know if I, if you know this, but your books were passed around the set of One Day at a Time. Oh, my and, God. And were read very lovingly by that cast and, <laughs> and, and crew. Um, so the, um, what was I going to say? The, 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 your style um, is very uh, um, welcoming in the sense that the line is not, uh, I don't know how to describe this. It's it's warm and welcoming in a way that, like I was saying earlier, is deceptively simple for a much deeper meaning and a mm-hmm. much deeper storyline. And what I think is so effective about comics is that way that comics can make you drop your guard a little bit emotionally. Yeah. Uh, and this is speaking broadly of all comics. They can make you drop your guard thinking like, I'm about to be entertained, and then hit you with a really impactful and moving story. And your comics do that really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was curious to ask you about your conscious choice of the level of detail, if that makes sense for a story, like I'm yeah. going to make this this level of iconicity. I'm going to make this this level of realism because you seem to choose very um, uh, purposefully in my mind. And I would love to hear you talk about that for a second. Sure. Um, usually if it's me like narrating something in a panel and it's an image of me, I don't yeah. want to draw myself a million times. So, <laughs> so it'll be much more cartoony. Now I just kind of draw my eyes as like two dots and part of that has to do with what you said about, I think, drawing people in. The Like, you know, the more cartoony something is, isn't that, you know, Scott McCloud explained? Right, like, the more you know, universal the more, it becomes. Yeah, yeah, the more people can relate to it. Yeah. But if it's a moment of, like, there's a panel of, you know, when my mother, you know, gave birth to me, uh, you know, I'm going to draw an image of her holding a baby, and it's so- supposed to be more of, like, a tender moment. So I'm not going to make it super cartoony, I suppose. Right. Um, and... I think that just has to do with like, I think the choices of, of what you're showing and what you're telling. I, I did another in my, you say, no, wait, it was in my language comic. There's a panel of me as a missionary in the Bronx talking to a few people. And so I want people to recognize this is the Bronx. So I draw a train station, a subway platform, you know, and certain things a little bit more, I guess, accurately. Um, but I think I can still maintain sort of some of that cartooniness within the characters, I guess, like, like bone. Right, um, right. So, yeah, I think it just depends on what I'm showing, what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny. I never, 
vocalized this before, but one of the interesting things about Bone, and it's funny that we come up in the context of Scott McCloud's iconicity to realism argument, is that you literally could not make a more iconic character than one of the Bones. Oh, yeah. And yet they were in hyper-realistic situations. So yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's the universality of, like, anybody could be Bone in this moment. Like, we're all, we're all there right there with Bone going through this adventure. But it's incredibly detailed and realistic and, frankly, for a kid, a harrowing adventure. Sorry, I don't know why I'm vocalizing this just now. It just occurred to me that how, well, how universal Bone we, is. Yeah, that might be why we all you know, really are drawn to, like, Bones' face is two circles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and, yeah, exactly. It's, it is, it is, and, and literally the complete lack of, it's the absence of color. Mm-hmm. It's whatever you mm-hmm. want Bone to be. Yeah. Uh, is, uh, anyway, it's just a good, it's a good note for younger cartoonists out there that might be listening, the universality versus the realism um, approach in your cartooning. So let me talk, to finish up the conversation today, I want to talk about a future project that you have coming down the line, uh, Lifetime Passes. Uh, can yeah. you give us the quick elevator pitch and, and share sure. that with, with folks and what's going to be coming up? Um, I pitched a book to um, Abrams, which they picked up for their new imprint called Shirley Books, and that's being headed up by Mariko Tamaki. She's my editor on this book, Lifetime Passes. Um, what I can say about it, I guess, is that it's um, a book about Teenagers in the summer who go to a theme park and discover a secret uh, that leads them to spend time with the elderly. <laughs> I'm trying to choose my words very carefully. Um, What's funny but, is that, like, in you trying to carefully choose your words that vaguely sounded creepy, spending yeah. time with the elderly. <laughs> to, to, to take them to the park. <laughs> to take them to the park. To take them um, to the park. <clears throat> that book is being... I wrote that script, and that book is being drawn by Claudia Aguirre, who is a Mexican artist. Um, she also illustrated my book, Hotel Dare. Mm-hmm. And yes. I, love, I love working with her because she's so great, so fantastic, so fast. Um, and that is my next project, which I think... It, the artwork is starting on that right about now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be a little while before it's out, but that's my next sort of big project um, that I'm really excited about. It's actually the first graphic novel idea pitch i had um which is funny because my first book deadweight was my first book that was published it was it was sort of a it's a, i guess it's a quick little story where i pitched lifetime passes um to oni and they were like we like this um and then i just had a conversation where with, with an editor where i said you know i have another idea for a book but it's not really developed yet and she was like well what is it and i was like oh it's a murder mystery set at a fat camp <laughs> And she was like, she's like, write, write that. She's like, let's, let's put that on the, on the table. And so they picked that one up and I hadn't even, like, I I literally went home and was like, oh, they're like looking at these pitches in two days. Okay. So then I just started typing as much as I could for two days. Um, And that book I co-wrote with Molly Muldoon and the artwork is by Matthew Seeley. Um, But I find it interesting that I guess I, I have an illustration degree, but the bulk of my comics work now is writing. Yeah. Right. Um, why, and, just out of curiosity on a human level, why do you think that's happened? I know uh, exactly why that's happened. Okay. <laughs> I took a real hard look at, this isn't putting myself down, but I felt right. like I took a realistic look at what my strengths were mm-hmm. and what my weaknesses were. And I said, you know, I can't, nor do I want to draw bicycles, cars, and buildings ever. And I can't, like, I'm, I'm just not, like, my strengths are, my strengths are in portraiture, in people, in animals, right. character, you right. know, and in, like, you don't necessarily, you know, it helps to be a good artist, but you have to be able to tell a good story right. uh, in comics. Right. And, and people 
kept telling me that I tell a good story. So I thought, well, I love organizing. I love de- I love details. I love coming up with the story ideas. I feel like I can see a whole vision for a project. And I thought, I'm going to try my hand at writing then. And so I, having gone to art school, I was like, well, I can't go back to school for writing. What do I do here? And so I, I, I'm a big proponent for if you want to go to art school or college, great. And if you don't, also great. But right. then educate yourself in a way that you feel is helpful to you. So while I was drawing comics, I listened to every YouTube tutorial clip on writing and writing comics that I could. And mm-hmm. I said, YouTube will be my college. YouTube will be my... Wow. You know, this this goes back to what we were talking about before, Brad, about self-starters versus yeah. art school. I mean, yeah. and Terry is both. He both went to art school and is a self-starter. And, and see, I just had a conversation with my friend Natalie, who did Between Gears. She storyboards for, for Disney now. Mm-hmm. And the value of having people work for, work for you and with you who bring different experiences and backgrounds to the table is, is priceless. Because... If everybody that you work with went to art school, that's that's sort of one experience, right. as opposed yes. to somebody who who yes. didn't, who has different life experiences that could bring something interesting to your story, right? Or you know, or right. a, a different experience in in the way they draw. Now, Terry, I got to ask you this: uh, coming from somebody who says I I I didn't want to draw bicycles and cars and buildings, which by the way resonates with me like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. Uh, and then uh, turning uh, and and putting a lot of steam behind writing. When you're writing a story, do you make sure to put lots and lots of bicycle cars and buildings in there? <laughs> Just to it's, turn the knife. <laughs> it's the first thing I do. No. Um, so look for everyone. Look for uh, Terry's new story set in a bicycle factory. Uh, it's going to be a really. It's going to be a real. It's called. It's called bikes, cars, and buildings. Bikes, bikes cars, and buildings. Ca- <laughs> um, and everyone is a horse. All the characters are horses. No, actually, I will tell you. I will tell you what what I find funny about writing and and the bikes cars buildings thing is that the script for deadweight literally says like panel five the kids walk into the woods and i'm writing a project right now that takes place in new york city mm-hmm. and it's like on the corner of 39th and fashion avenue in manhattan in 2016 it's like so much reference that is yeah. specific to yeah. a year and to a place that i have to gather and make sure i've got really good reference for this this artist right, um, right because i am writing like well now they're in you know the village now they're in brooklyn and you know and so it's very different than the kids are in the woods <laughs> right right yeah 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 it's a very yeah. uh, um and did you as a writer did you feel the need to gather all the reference to forward on to your artists i do sense? that just I'll, or is I'll, it more I for guess... you for your writing it's it's both and okay. i will say that it's because one I'm a very impatient person, and I yeah. know that about myself. So if I can give the artist as much tools as they can, as that you know, as they need or right. they can get, so that they don't have to search for stuff, then great. I'll create a folder and reference for them. But at the same time, it, I, my scripts are very specific and very detailed, and I tell the artists that I work with this is just the best way for me to get the story out of my head. Right. And so if you and the editor think of a better way to do this page, mm-hmm. as long as the dialogue and story still comes across, I don't care. Yeah. So I don't want you to feel super beholden to it must be six panels with this and this and this. Right. That's just the way I see it. And that's the best, the quickest way I can write a script to get yeah. all out of my head. Right. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. I get it. It's, I, I, I want to say, though, that... Um, in my younger days, I always wanted to be um, a cartoonist because um, the 
The antisocial part of my personality really loved being able to work and control my own thing, you know, my own story mm-hmm. in a compact way that I didn't rely on other people. But as I've gotten older, I just want to say that I really resonate with your comment about there's such value in working with other people mm-hmm. and in in their own experiences and voices coming in on a shared piece of art. And it, uh, I will be honest, it took me getting older to accept that that might be better or or valuable. And it's interesting that we all have our own journey on that, you know, that... Um, we were all, I can, I can, I think I can say for all three of us, we were probably insecure kids that were shy and, and took to drawing because we could, you know, compartmentalize in our little corner of the house and draw. Um, but it's lovely once you get to a point when you're older in life to be able to work with a colorist or an inker or a, a, you know, a, a writer and, and bounce ideas off of there's something sort of magical. Once you do get to that point, it's really, it's 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 quite exciting seeing another artist interpret sort of, you know, what you had in your head and yeah. And, and, you know, I, I forget often that since I'm a writer, but started out as an artist, I can also draw a sketch for the artist and say, this is what I'm thinking for the character. Right. I forget that all the time. But I, you know, when I'm writing, I do think that subconsciously having started out as an illustrator and drawing comics helps me write a script knowing that it's going to go to an artist and what they might, you know, need or what they might what might frustrate them you know and so Mm -hmm. i do think that's helpful but but yeah i don't know (laughs) well terry thank you genuinely thank you so much for coming by it is delightful to talk to you and i want to say to anyone that has not yet checked out terry's work make sure you go to t-e-r-r-y-b-l-a-s.com or you can follow terry blast at uh instagram or twitter um and you can also search for tony's work uh tony's work (laughs) Tony's work. What the heck? When did you become Tony? That, that's, a, that's a weird show. Okay, you're now Tony. Yeah, Tony, there sweet. we go. That's you a, better, a very different better, life story for you. You better down Tony Blast real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Someone quick, go register that one. Uh, you can you can search Terry's work over at Vox.com. And real quick, by the way, because I'm realizing for our listeners that are in Australia or New Zealand or something, can you give a, a two-second version of the difference between Latino, Latinx, and Hispanic? Because oh, sure. actually, I'm realizing that might be fun for people to realize the difference. So I will say to preface this, that it's a very basic, (laughs) simple explanation that you could also get into a discussion about for hours and hours. So the the basics for me is that if you think of it, if you think of the term Latino as Latin America, as geographical, Mm -hmm. then Latino is someone who comes from a country within Latin America. Mm -hmm. Hispanic or Spanish is someone who comes from a country that speaks, whose language is primarily Spanish. So the difference there being that in Latin America, you have a country like Brazil that they speak Portuguese in. Portuguese, yep. So many people that I know who are from Brazil say, well, I'm not Hispanic. I don't speak Spanish, but I'm Latino right. or I'm Latina. Right. Right. And so then you have Spain, which is a country on the other side of the world from us. <laughs> yes. Right. <clears throat> you know, and they speak Spanish there, but they're not a country in Latin America. So that's sort of the flip side of that. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, you know, you can argue about the true meanings of what that means till you know i guess the cows come home but that's sort of what my comic explores is those two terms mm-hmm. latinx is um, um it's a more recent term that like i guess within the past 15 years that was sort of created in the states that is a term that's um used to be more inclusive for gender non-binary and gender fluid people because because spanish is a gendered language like many latin-based languages right and so I guess you have like, you have Nino for boy, Nina for girl, and then you have what? 
<laughs> you know, like for someone who's gender non-binary or, right. you know. And so uh, the term's somewhat controversial because people say, well, X makes the term inconjugatable, you know, the Spanish inconjugatable. It makes, you can't, you can't say lixis niñixes, like you can't speak that. Yeah. And right. so I, my comic explores the idea that I, I encountered, a, I had no idea, but a friend of mine in Mexico City hosts a drag competition <laughs> on YouTube. And instead of saying bienvenidos a todos, which is welcome everyone, right? but still using the masculine form for everyone, it's not inclusive because right, for, right. for groups in Spanish, you use you the masculine default. form. The masculine, yeah. Instead of bienvenidos a todos, he said bienvenides a todes. So he used to Oh, e. I've never and heard that like, before. It blew my mind. I've I was never like, well, heard that before. Me, well, I, and, and, and so apparently a friend of mine who is from Brazil said, oh yeah, we've been using the E there for a long time. <laughs> so so I've it, literally never thought of E as an and, alternate for Spanish. Yeah, so a lot of people have started saying Latine instead of Latinx because you can't, oh. because you can say Niñez. Yeah, yeah it's conjugatable. Yeah. Sorry, so, my brain is exploding because I've it, never thought of this before. It exploded my brain, too. So, I, so my comic explores that. that yeah. uh, wow. I, yeah. mm, I'm going to go read up on this because I literally never <laughs> thought of this. Now so, I want to apply this to a bunch of... Because, Brad, as you know, there's a, every every word, like la mesa, you know, everything in, in Spanish is, uh, uh, as is true with a lot of romantic languages, yeah. has gender. And I... I I never thought of this about yeah, using a whole e. other vowel there you weren't using. I know so, we're gonna we're gonna have a half hour after show with Terry. And he's got we're gonna go through <laughs> nouns and just think about what could be. I mean, just imagine your one of your grandparents tells you that they think that they're gender non-binary, and you say yeah. you say you know you're no longer saying cool abuela or cool abuela. You say cool abuela. <laughs> and for yeah. those for those that don't might not speak Spanish or a romantic language, the 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 uh, parallel to this is the discussion right now in English over pronouns. I think is probably a mm-hmm. fair way to say like yeah. a parallel and like why why things are either inclusive or non inclusive and and how language adapts yeah. to that. So that's kind of what this is. But, to, um, to clarify a little bit, I guess people who there's a lot of people who say you know well I don't like using the X I I don't identify with that. Well then you don't have to use it for yourself. Right. Right. But right. I tried to I think. I think one of the most basic, decent things we can do as human beings is refer to people the way they want to be referred to. So if I'm talking about a group of people like a community, then I will say Latinx or Latine so that I'm inclusive. But if I'm talking about myself, I identify as a man. So I'll say Latino. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, anyway, that got sidetracked. I was, I was, we were saying goodbye to Terry. But anyway, you can search on Vox.com for Terry's name um, and and check out uh, both comics. I think there's both Latino versus Hispanic and uh, so Latino called, versus Latinx, is right? They're called You Say Latino and called You Say Latinx. Right, 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 right. Um, and then uh, in the coming months, uh, look for, or maybe more coming year, uh, Lifetime Passes uh, yeah. coming out from Abrams and Shirley Titles. And um, Terry, thank you for coming on the show. It is delightful talking to you. I hope you'll come back thank and join you. us at some point. Uh, anytime. <laughs> and for, again, for those that are not familiar with Terry's work, head over to his website or check him out on Instagram and Twitter. And Terry, thank you so much. Have a great week. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, Terry. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. 
no worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. So, Dave, we've got a question from our $5 Patreon backers uh, this week on Comic Lab, and uh, I think you're going to love it. You ready for this? Let's do it. All right. So this one comes in uh, from Curious Borg, who says, Hi, Brad and Dave. Your recent conversation about art school and dealing with people you've met in person versus online got me thinking. Both of you were easing into a mostly post-convention stage of your career, even before COVID. Are you still forming new friendships and partnerships or mostly working with the same old group of people? If you keep... (laughs) Yeah, I noticed he put that in there, too. (laughs) If you keep to your bubble, is there a risk of getting to the state in your career uh, or getting too stale in your career or business practices. Uh, Hopefully my question won't make you go boo as always. Thanks for the great podcast. Uh, I'm proud to be a patron. So Dave, the question is, do you two old guys ever meet anyone new? (laughs) Hey, grandpa, do you ever get out of your recliner? That's what this question is. Hey, Grandpa, do you ever get off the porch and go down to the market to meet some of the young kids? Uh. You ever, do you ever leave the home? And I'm not talking about those times you wander off and can't find your way back again. Do you ever do you ever, do you ever, leave the porch? Hey, Brad, let me ask you, Grandpa. Now that Grandma has passed, do you ever go down to the dining hall at the old folks' home and try to meet new people? Brad, do you ever, like, pad down there with your walker and try to find someone new to talk to? Dave, the home called. They said that you forgot to sign out again, and if you could uh, just... They're sending a squad car around to look for you. And, and yes, yes, Dave, we do know that you can remember when this was all farms. We we get that. Just get to the part when you come back and sign back in. Your Brad, tapioca's you know waiting for you. Brad, you know it's Thursday, and I like to walk to the market to get my lottery ticket. Bradley, you know this about me. I don't have to sign out. I'm an adult. Um, yeah, it's Thursday. That's when the Entenmann truck comes over. That's when you can get fresh baked goods. <laughs> Thursday is also lasagna day, and I don't like the lasagna. It has chunks of meat in it. I always like meatless lasagna, and I don't like it the way they prepare. Anyway, so as an old guy, do I ever meet new friends? I will be honest about this. So I have, uh, and I think it's fair to say, a, an interesting mix of social and antisocial uh, aspects to my personality, right? Mm-hmm. I'm also incredibly gregarious in a group. I will literally, if you put me in a party atmosphere, I'm I'm the loudest and the most uh, outgoing and and delightful, right? I, mm-hmm. I say that intentionally. Like, well, it, loudest and outgoing, definitely. <laughs> well, this of, has been Comic Lab, everybody. I'm gonna go cry in a corner. <laughs> two um, out of three ain't bad. <laughs> No, I, I I will say this about myself that like uh put me in a party situation, I'm great. Yeah. I'm out but like you give me the choice about whether I can choose to be at home by myself or choose to be in a group. And man, as my wife will attest, nine times out of ten, I will choose to be at home. Yes. Even if it's an incredible event. I'm like, nah, I'd rather not see people. I'm gonna I'm gonna be by myself, right? Um and there's a reason why I became a cartoonist. And it's right. it's because as as social as I could be in high school and college, I liked being alone. You know, I liked yeah. cartooning, and that's okay. Um 
I've very much come to accept that about my personality. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, as far as friendships, I will be honest that I've made a lot of my personal and professional friendships in my 20s and maybe into my 30s. And then I kind of stopped for about a decade or 15 years, right? Yeah. Um, but I, and I don't know why this is the case, but something, Brad, about the Black Lives Matter movement has made me realize that I need to widen my sphere again. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? And yeah. I don't know why that's it's a part of me is part of a part and parcel, probably, of an awareness that of uh, of a new need for self-improvement is also like, no, I need to actively seek out younger voices in my yeah. career. And so I'm it's a shame, actually, that Comic-Con is not happening for a thousand reasons, but mainly because I was kind of hoping to do uh, an Australian walkabout and walk the floor and find new people. Right. Yeah. Um. One of my favorite things to do, and if you ever get the chance to go to Emerald City Comic Con, walk the artist alley at Emerald City Comic Con. It is one of the uniquely best artist alley in North America. Mm-hmm. And you will find among the best, you'll find uh, Hellboy tabling right next to, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the guy that drew Hellboy. What's his name, Brad? Come on, help Mike me out. Mike Mignola. Mike Mignola, that's right. <laughs> Jake Parker's going to kill me that I forgot that name. Um, <laughs> you'll find Mike uh, tabling right next to somebody who's doing their first ash can, sure. but who is amazing because it's a curated uh, artist alley. And mm-hmm. what I'm getting at is uh, I have met uh, a lot of my favorite younger cartoonists uh, at Comic-Con. Yeah. And I personally find that to be a wonderful chance to turn that switch that my personality has from antisocial to social to say, for these four days, Brad, I'm going to actively try to meet new people, actively yeah. hear what their journey is like. And um, so that's that's my truth right now. Where are you, Brad, in terms of making friends? Now, you don't, I don't know that I would describe you as a person who has friends, right? No. Is that fair to... No, by, <laughs> I was kidding. I was kidding, but you went, you said yes. Oh my god, that hurt me when you said yes because I was joking. Oh god, that hurt me. I'm taking back. Brad, you have a lot of dear friends. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm I'm, I'm kidding, of course. But no, no. I, so I want to I want to reframe this question because it sounds like the question was mostly about business. Oh. Not so much social. It was like, are, is your business relationships going to go stale? Are you are, are, and and creative? Yeah. But uh, but I, I so yes, socially uh, socially I'm kind of to that point where uh, there's not the, the new people coming into my life are mainly through my kids. Right. Like, yes. It's like yeah. My yeah. my son has a new girlfriend, or uh, the other son is starting a new D and D group. So I meet this one and I meet that one and so forth. And you get a chance to sit, well, in the old days, you could sit at the dining room table and have a conversation. Now it's a little bit tougher to do, unless unless like my 18-year-old is is trying to FaceTime with his girlfriend and dad, you know, comes in and peeks his head through the door and, you know, starts saying all kinds of embarrassing, cringeworthy things. Then, you know, if you you, you call that, uh, uh, if you call that socialization, (laughs) I do that lots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But in terms of business, uh, no, most of my I've I've got a lot of new people that are cycling in. Uh, you know, Asia was here for my uh, internship uh, last summer, and I'm still in uh, in pretty frequent contact with her as she's going through and kind of trying to get herself settled as a, as an artist. She wants to be a storyboard artist out in uh, California, so she's trying to make inroads, and I'm trying to give her the help that I can give 
Uh, Abiomi was uh, came in as an assistant. Uh, Kathleen was an assistant. I've got a number of different people uh, that mainly through uh, my connections at University of the Arts right. uh, come in and cycle through my business uh, and through my creative uh, atmosphere. Uh, so I, you know, I, 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 I get a chance to hear them and believe me, I need it. Cause you like the, one of the first things I'm always asking is, all right, explain Instagram to me because <laughs> right. it's an ongoing probably, or an ongoing quest for me to find, uh, the key to making Instagram work for me. Right. Uh, and so, and, and, and I always get these great takes on on different uh pathways uh for Instagram and social media in general. Uh so yeah, I've I've got an awful lot of uh young people and fresh blood if you will, you know, coming through and and taking part in different uh areas of my creative uh process. So no, I'm 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 kind of happy with my ability. Could, wait, could there be more? Absolutely. You know, yeah, and, and yeah. It, it, I think that's uh, that goes without saying to a certain extent. At some point, I just have to put my head down and get back to work too. Right, but right. Uh, I, I, but but I don't know. I, th- I I I would bet that based on the question that was asked, if I, if, if this person actually saw the number of people that but I, that I'm actually in conversation with throughout a given month. It would probably be kind of surprising. Yeah, I uh, yes, that's true. Yeah. I think that one of the things that's a hallmark of trying to make a career in business is the recognition, at least for Brad and I, yeah. that we can't allow ourselves to get too comfortable or too right. stale. And every three or four or five years, we have a kind of a, a, a like an old 1880s revival where they're like, Got to, got to change it up. Got to switch it up. Got to, got to like, sometimes it's just, you get this fear of God and you like, no, I'm getting too stale. I I'm working the same way I've always worked. Got to change it up. And so for me, one of the things that Brad and I have been talking about, and I don't think it's talking out of school to, to mention it early is we would like to do, uh, as a way of paying it forward, a mentorship of some type to two or three younger cartoonists. Mm -hmm. And part of it is because we're trying to be better active citizens. And we don't, by the way, we don't have the details of this worked out yet. So right. I'm not, in I, other words, don't at us. <laughs> don't, don't at us yet. Yeah. We're, we're trying to figure this out, but we're trying to figure out, especially again, in context of, of, of black lives matter of how yeah. to pay it forward to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And part of it was Brad and I saying, how can we do a good, a really meaningful mentorship that, that might say like, listen, you'll be, you'll have access to Brad and I, and you can, you can, you know, key questions about what to do in the first couple of years of your career. And I personally, even though that's giving back and paying it forward, I think is a better way to say it, paying it forward to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I look forward to the energy of young 20 somethings in terms of like, what's interesting to you in cartooning right now? Like, what are right. you reading? I'm, I, you know, because I, at my age and God, Brad at his age, especially, Ooh. Just who knows uh, what, you know, Brad's still like, I'm still reading Jane Eyre and it's fantastic. Yeah. You yeah, know, I, I, well, my, at this point, my eyes have gotten so weak. I have to have, uh, I have my, I have my, my attendant read it to me. Yes. Yeah. As they're Go pushing back, my read, wheelchair down the hallway. Read that passage about Sherlock Holmes again. I'm, <laughs> uh, no, but uh, what I'm getting at is, is um, that the nice thing about bringing new artists and new blood into your studio or into your career is that, like Terry was saying, Ew. it's it's also a lovely give and take. You yeah. know, it's a it's um it's a it's new blood, it's new ideas, it's new energy, it's new excitement. Like 
Uh, for example, my niece and uh, members of my family have been introducing me to different types of uh, manga that I just never, they were not in my sphere, right? And it's exciting to uh, to come across a title that I had not heard of and like I not, I probably wouldn't have found on my own, but because a 20-something brought it into my life, I'm like, this is a great, I'm going to read it, I'm going to try it out. This is something that's happened to me as well, although for me it's anime, but tell me what the, tell me what the two titles you're most excited about are. Uh, there's a couple one there's, uh, and now I'm blanking on the title, but it's a, it's a, it's called uh, dungeon, uh, Dungeons what is it? Dungeons and Dragons. No, is a, is don't, a don't be a, game? don't be a jerk. It's not I'm that. Sorry. I'm now sorry. you're putting me on the spot, but oh. one of them is a, is a manga about, uh, chefs in a dungeon and it's really Ooh. a cute idea. It's sort yeah. of all ages, but I love the idea of like, they're killing the monster. Right. And then they cook it. They, they just describe how they prepare the, the beast as oh, a meal. That's a fantastic concept. And it just seems like a fun idea. And one that I never would yeah. have sought out. Um, how does and... one prepare cobalt? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? So stuff like that, just titles that I would not have, have considered. And yeah. I feel bad that I'm actually blanking on the title right now because it would be fun to share with people. But uh, go ahead, Brad. You had a While we were out at the lake house uh, waiting for the house to get finished, uh, we had Hulu there. And I've been I've been holding off on Hulu uh, for a while, partially because at the one level you still get advertisements, and I'm really against paying a subscription for something and getting advertisements on top of it. Mm-hmm. And I understand there's a there's a higher level that you can get rid of that as well. Uh, but the other part was I cut the, the cable TV years ago, years ago, and. Uh, I, I started seeing like Netflix and stuff. And I think I've said it on this show. Uh, eventually they're going to have us with so many of these subscription services. I'm going to be paying as much as I used to pay for cable, just as yeah. with all the, so I've been trying to put the skids on it. We got Netflix, Amazon prime. We had to get CBS all active so we could watch Picard. We got Disney plus, and we can't get rid of that because Hamilton's coming up. And, uh, and so the kids are like, ah, oh, we got to get Hulu. And I said, well, I don't know that there's enough on Hulu to really tempt us. And so my sons go, well, they got this thing called My Hero Academia. I oh, said, well, My Hero Academia is great. What's that? I said. You know, oh, you've not watched it? Okay, oh my go God, ahead. Not, well, uh, it, when I was teaching uh, one of my storytelling classes, some of my students who knew that I was a cartoonist said, you got to watch it. You'd love it. And actually, I bought one of the... You ready for old man Geiger? Yeah. Bought one of the manga, the mm-hmm. first chapter. Yeah. But you got Dave. You got to read this shit backwards. It starts at the back of the book. You got to read oh the right hand page. Oh my god, Grandpa! Page. Come on. It threw Grandpa, me so. You got to read. Have you never read a manga before? <laughs> you got to read the stuff backwards. You got to constantly, you know, remind yourself to start in the upper right hand corner of the. Ladies uh, and, and gentlemen, the Brad is now doing. A, Brad is now doing the Mel Brooks bit of a thousand year old oh, man. I, I have to read it backwards. <laughs> What's happening? I, my lasagna has chunks of meat in it, and I don't like it. It threw me so much. So I got through the first couple pages. It's like, now watch the anime. So uh, so the kids got me completely. I wish reading. I was making that up. That... Why are you with your reading glasses on oh. and your comfortable reading chair going, wait a minute, why is the title on the back of and the I, book? And I told you on the show before, reading puts me right out. After two pages, I'm I'm drooling on my on my shirt. It, 
<laughs> I'm I so charmed. Right out like a light. <laughs> oh, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall by the time you got to page three, and you're like, this is hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> put a little post-it note at the top of the page with an arrow, you know, this way stupid. It was, but it was I, well, let's, let's stop for a second because I want to talk about how there are no new stories because yeah. to me, My Hero Academia is the perfect example of take the X-Men, yes. completely recontextualize it. Yep. You've got My Hero Academia, you know, and, and it... Go they ahead. put so... What do I always say? Frank so much uh, original thought into it that it's indistinguishable. So instead of calling them mutants, what do they call? They say they've got a quirk. A quirk, yeah. You're born with a quirk. Which, by All the way, great sudden, terminology. Oh, that word. When they said quirk, I'm like, whoa. It was one of those things like, you fucking idiot, Geiger. Why didn't you think of that? I know. You know? It's, it's such so a good. beautiful way to phrase it. But but it's a, it's a really great uh, animated series. And then, so we watch... Oh, God, five or six episodes of that. And then my 18-year-old says to me, ah, you think that's good? Wait till I, and he clicks. He, and I'm like, oh, what's that? Cowboy Bebop. I've heard of this. I've heard of Cowboy Bebop. He says, have you ever seen it? I go, no. He goes, buckle up. Click. Now we're watching Cowboy Bebop, which is a, a, a whole nother kind of amazing, a lot less comedy, a lot more serious. It's more action, uh, but a lot of great, you know, kind of jazz influence there, as you might guess by the name. And, uh, and, and now we're watching that. And then... Well, this goes back to Netflix. We get home and the kids are so excited about watching anime together. Guess what's on Netflix that old man Geiger just uh, discovered that he loves? I'm guessing Avatar The Last Day Avenger. Oh, no, that was that was last month. We made it through okay. the entire series, which is <laughs> also we got to talk about sometime. Amazingly good, too. But this thing that I completely dismissed because I thought, oh, what a dumb idea. Uh, and it's really handled well. One Punch Man. Oh, One Punch yeah. Man yeah, yeah. is deceptively good. Uh, and did you and read so, the manga, or are you watching the anime? What do you think? <laughs> because I'm still delighting in Grandpa sitting in his chair going, I'm having trouble reading backwards. My brain doesn't know how to process this. I'm so old, everyone. So very old. <laughs> and the irony is I'm, I'm getting so deaf that to watch TV, I've got to have the subtitles on. Oh so I'm reading anyway. Oh, God. Oh, no, Brad. Oh, my heart is off. Talk about things falling apart. Oh, it ain't boy. easy. Just pass me the drool cup and put me out to pasture. <laughs> but uh, but no, I've I've been really. And speaking of being uh, turned on to new things by uh, by the younger people around you, uh, those those are four things right there that in the last two months I've really gotten excited about. And again, and also so what that did was one of the things that uh, I, I that became crystal clear to me watching my hero academia is that I need to be looser with superpowers. Like, think about my cast. One person is a fire starter. One person can project lightning and electricity. There's somebody who's super strong. There's, there's superpowers or quirks in My Hero Academia that are just off the wall and just bonkers. Go nuts. Just yeah, bonkers. Like one person's superpower is he's a, he can project adhesive tape. The one, the one superpower, her quirk is she's got like these plugs that come out of her calf and go it's like earphones kind of thing. Yeah. That one is cuckoo bananas. Like what, 
What were they smoking when they thought of that one? I was yeah. like, what is what is this? And they do they do sh group shots, and you see some people have bizarre heads. One person looks like he's got a clothespin for a head. The, I mean, one, just, with the, the one with the hand on the face <gasps> is, is oh, that's, a brilliant design. Yeah, and, and, and me, again, one of those, why didn't I think of that? That's Yeah, my wife, creepy. who doesn't read comics, walked in and was like, what is that? That's cool. Like, that The whole idea, their mask is their hand, and he's walking around like this. Mm -hmm. That's super scary. That's, that, that's scarier than a than a than a ghost mask. That's yeah, a super it's, it's scary. Great. It's mask. great. Um, so yeah, I've been, anyway, I've this been is really two old guys describe manga. That's what this section is. Yeah, that's the, yeah. great. Everyone's everyone's enjoying this one. Listen to Grandpa describe a manga, and they have a guy with a hand on his face. That's what I sound like. This is what I sound like right now. Well, and I tell you what, there's a girl that has plugs in her calves, and she can that's musical based and. Well, listen, before we both just uh, <laughs> turn to dust, let's see if we can get one more useful question out of us before we uh, before it's too late. Uh, but to, to put a button on that question, yeah. though, the, the thing is, of course, you have years of, uh, of like it's like a field. Some years yeah. the field goes fallow. And so some yeah. years you're just plugging away. You're working. And then other years you're like, no, I need to actively make this field better. Right. And right. so you, you throw a lot of fertilizer on and stuff. And so I think both Brad and I have had periods of both going fallow and then producing and then fallow producing. Yeah. And right now I'm in the phase where I'm like, I'm actively trying to expand my reading list and my horizon and the yeah. people in it and the people I do business with. And so to answer your question, uh, that will, that will, there are seasons of that. And it comes right now. My season is I'm trying to expand the people and the things in my sphere, you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Turn, turn, turn. Yes. To everything. There is a season. I've got one more question for you, David. Yes. This comes in from a new Patreon backer, Big Fish. I love that name. Big Fish. Your, your, your uh, studio is called Small Fish Studio. Small Fish right? is the name of my studio. Yeah. yeah. And you know, do you know why it's called Small Fish? Um, why? Uh, small Fish, Big Pond. Oh. That's the idea of it, is that I'm just a little dude making my, making my way in comics, which is a much bigger pond, so I'm a Small Fish Studio. Yeah. Well, this guy's Big Fish. He's getting ready to gobble your studio right up. And Big Fish uh, says, what are good proportions slash dimensions for a webcomic that would allow easy printing? Oh, okay. This is a great question. We get this question what, all the time. What size should my webcomic be? What works for uh, the web does not always work for print, right? Right. And so here's the thing. Um, if you're producing a long form story, it's a very different question than if you're producing individual installments of short form. Mm -hmm. um, so let's tackle short form first, Brad, right? Mm -hmm. um, so my advice would be if you're doing a sequential comic is to make it reconfigurable. Um, and the closest that I could suggest would be to go towards a perfect square mm -hmm. because perfect squares can be stacked tall in like a column. They can be made into themselves a square, you know, two across, two across kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, or you can make them uh, horizontal like a traditional newspaper comic strip. Right. Um, that's one very easy way to do it because it's very uh, easy to configure for different formats. Um, I would advise against anything too long or too wide panel wise, mm -hmm. right? Um, yes, it'll look amazing on the web if you can scroll down and there's this giant scroller, but then just try to imagine putting that on anything relative to a printed page. And you're like, good God, how am I going to do this? You know? Yeah. And so is that a limiting factor to what you can draw? Absolutely. For mm -hmm. example, right now I have an idea for a side scrolling comic that I could do, but I'm like, what will I ever do with this in print? There's nothing right. I can do with it. So right. 
Is it a limiter? Yes, but then you apply your creativity to it. You can say, how do I make this idea work within the context of an eventual printed page? Mm-hmm. And then you draw accordingly. So um, I personally would advise towards a square. Brad, what are your thoughts? Well, here's the deal. I, I've got I've got two thoughts. Number one, just you're mentioning uh, uh, like sequ- short form sequential. I always get really peeved when I see somebody posting a comic strip on social media. In other words, like a three-panel or a four-panel strip on social media without uh, reformatting it into a square. And you can even do that with a three-panel strip. You go two panels on top and one centered on the bottom. But, uh, but, but I get really peeved when I see somebody go like four panels across. <laughs> sorry! I'm sorry! I'm so sorry! I tried to ignore you for the last I absolutely derailed the, co- the podcast because uh, I took... Okay, I had made a really nice uh, a French press of coffee today, yeah, and yeah, I don't yeah. know if you've ever had this, but you get to the bottom of the last sip of the coffee, and you just get a mouthful of coffee grinds, yeah. and it's all, for some reason, it's all underneath my, oh God, still, it's underneath my tongue and in my oh. teeth, and I'm trying not to distract you by trying to extricate it from my mouth. <laughs> I'm doing this podcast, and all of a sudden, I look over at Dave, and he's licking his palm and, and making all kinds of faces, and I'm I like- I can't get it out of my mouth. It's like stuck oh, in my, my mouth. Oh my God. No one wants to hear this. This is the least appetizing thing possible. <laughs> Sorry to derail the show. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is I get really upset when I see somebody post Posting a uh, a comic strip on social media uh, because it's so easy to reformat that into a, uh, a, a, a the type of thing that can easily be read on a small screen. If you do a strip, right. you know somebody's got to pinch and zoom that thing. Then they yep. got to scroll all the way to the left. Yep. Then they've got to scroll it as they read it. That's way more than anybody wants to do to read your stuff. You right. know, they right. want to click and boom, there there it is. And if you've done it like Dave said, formatted into to a square, uh, you're home free. You, you've done, you've gotten the first step towards making a new reader, which is getting them to read it. Uh, but I, I want to go backwards now. Okay. And that is what is the best size for a web comic? And you were kind of in the hunt on this one, but I want to, I want to cut right to the chase on this and say the best size for a web comic is whatever size you plan to print that at. Oh, it's, what an unhelpful answer. Great no, job, no, no. Brad. No, it is. In other words, <laughs> no, you, I don't. You work backwards to, is what you're you saying. You have to, yeah, because that's the, and that number one, it's the most important thing. That's where yes. most of your money is going to come in from your print, right? right? Either right. books or what have you. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. That's where the money is being made. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's got to be your most important thing. And mm-hmm. also, at, no matter what you do for print, for the most part, you can uh, you can reformat that and crop out panel by panel by panel. As long as you don't have a super horizontal panel, like Dave said, for the most part, you can just crop those panels individually and reformat them in any number of different ways. And boom, you can post it on the web. You can post it on social media. Uh, Sometimes just take a look at all the different formats I post Evil Ink on. I post it as a half page. I post it as a panel by panel vertical scroll. I post it as a panel by panel horizontal scroll on Instagram. I post it as a video that goes through each right. different panel. Right. Uh, and that's thirsty, all the everybody. same uh, page that I'm that I'm working backwards from. But the page is the most exact, yes. most important thing. So yes. what you really should do is is do some planning. What size book do I eventually hope 
to put out. Once you decide that, and like Dave always says, go go cool hunting, right? Go yeah. to go to the bookstore or go to, to the library and and see what are what are some sizes that you've got to to choose from. I go for, for some reason for some reason I got hooked up into like an eight and a half by eleven size, and for better or for worse, that's what all my books have been. Yeah. But there's also digest size, there's graphic novel size, there's manga size, there's a, a size that a lot of comic strips are, are put out at, like those Farside and Gra- uh, Garfield uh, collections. That's what those are mine, like eight and a half by nine is what those are. Yeah, there's lots and lots of choices. That should be your first step because that's got the least flexibility and it's got the most important. And once you figure that out, Everything else comes out in the wash. Let me let me reinforce that point. When when Brad says cool hunting, what you're yeah. doing is, and granted, it's hard at the moment with the pandemic, but yeah. you're physically feeling the books. What feels right. right to crack this open and read it? Because I don't know if you've ever read a certain kind of comic book where you crack it open to read it and it's too wide. You'd have to like have it on your lap or have it on a table. You can't hold it, right? And yeah. then the alternate is true. Sometimes you get a book that's too tall and thin, and you're like, this feels weird. It doesn't read right. Yeah. So I know this feels uh, it, weird, but it is a sort of intuitive thing. That, like, you'll know it when you pick it up. This mm-hmm. is the size I want to have my book feel like, right? Yes. So Brad's right about that. And then work backwards. So I design my drive pages for that eight and a half by nine size that I print at. Mm-hmm. And then... Like Brad said, I take that physical page dimension and just bring it down to whatever it is. Uh, I think right now it's 800 or 800 pixels wide. And I pr- ideally, I'd like to move that up to 1,000 or 1,200 pixels wide. We're, every, the screen resolutions are improving at such a point now where it's time to, for me to up it in the new yep. design of the drivecomic.com webpage. So uh, I, I, in the next iteration, I'm going to be making it wider. But I think anything around 1,000 pixels is fine as a minimum, I think, at, the point, yes. at this point. What do you think, Brad? Uh, I've been, I have been prepping all of my stuff for 1,600 pixels wide. Oh, have you? Yep. On, because, on, on evil-comic.com? Yep. I, because uh, I know that's a little bit big, but I know that resolutions are only going to go up. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's big enough that I can uh, that I can easily have plenty of resolution for Instagram, which is about a thousand or I think a thousand eighty uh, pixels wide. It's certainly enough for Webtoons, which is yeah. eight hundred pixels wide. Uh, but yeah, I just I've been it's it, it's I've just been I, I centered on sixteen hundred. I forget even where I pulled that out of a hat. Because that that's that's it's low enough where it's not kind of ridiculous mm-hmm. and high enough where I've got enough that I know I'm going to be pretty good for the next few years. Right. And um, we are not we're only a handful of years away from very affordable 4K screens. Um, yeah. You know, right now they're a little out of reach for the average family, but um, we're just a couple of years away from that being pretty affordable. And the problem then will be, Brad. Uh, mm-hmm. how much resolution is too much in the sense that I'm always able to advertise my books as the crispest and clearest way to read uh, my comics. Yeah. But as you know, uh, with certain uh, pro-level iPads and stuff, you can actually have a better pixel resolution than you can have a print resolution on certain products yeah. at 4K. And so especially, and then, in, you know, in the years ahead as we get into 8K. Oh, go ahead. You had a thought. Dave, I got one. I got, you mentioned 4K screens. Uh, you know what Yoda said the first time he saw himself in 4K? I'm ducking out immediately. I don't want to hear this punchline. What did Yoda say as soon as he saw himself in 4K? HD, am I? 
You've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living. HDMI. That's a freaking brilliant joke. HDMI. HDMI. Yoda said it. Did you come up with that? No, no, no. My kid found it on Reddit and threw it at me at the uh, dining room table, and I That's, loved it. That is very clever. That's yeah. very clever for oh, the fact no, that it works. Oh, clever because it came from my kid. If I would have told you I made it no, up, you would have uh, put the old stink on it. it. I was going to give you credit for it, the cleverness of that. I think that's great. I uh, I think that pretty much buttons up that answer, but... Um... <laughs> I no, just took I'm away not, Dave's will to live. Over now, that I, now that I've been deflated like a sail in a windless ocean, I'm just like, no, it's fine. No, I, but I do to, to button it up. I think first you look at your print and and because that's where your money is no, going to be. Absolutely, made, yeah. So let's yeah, retrofit your website. That I a thousand percent agree with Brad, yep. especially if you're starting in on a project that is of length. If you know you're going to be doing this for multiple years, don't just wing it. Make sure no. you make sure you find a, a page width and a height and a, and again a resolution. That that works for your printed page first, and then work backwards. I think that's smart. Absolutely, absolutely. And on that note, I, it's my pleasure to tell you that you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my pal Brad Geiger, the editor of WebComics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at Evil-Comic.com, and my close personal friend Dave Kellett, co-director of Stripped and cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. You like how I called you a creator and not like a cartoonist? That. Because yeah. to Terry's point, the small God, the smallest thing we can do as humums is call one another what we want to be right. called. And Absolutely. if you want to be called a creator, Brad, even though I think of you still as a cartoonist, <laughs> I'm going to call you a creator. Thank so, you. Thank you, for, thank you for realizing my truth. I, yes, I know. No, in all seriousness, if that's what you want to be called, I think that's actually a great word. And so yeah. I, I, uh, I recognize that, that that's, uh, you know what it is? There's still, for me, there's a sentimental joy in cartoonist. Oh, well, let's talk about this for a second. There's, to me, there's a sentimental <laughs> joy in cartoonist, and I still revel in being called a cartoonist. Like I, don't, eight, I don't mind being called a cartoonist, but when you say that you're the cartoonist of Sheldon, that that's a chewy phrase that doesn't have any, it, no, it, I know. it's got the wrong poetry. You know what, too? Uh, creator also, uh, to, uh, we talked about this before, but creator also implies a certain ownership of creativity. Like you were the one, it, it spawned from you. You were the one that brought it into the world, right, you know? Right, right. Because you could be a cartoonist on SpongeBob and you're like number 32 on the call sheet, you know, yeah. like... Uh, anyway, all that being said, uh, <laughs> the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode and all episodes was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. And this week's sponsor for the show is Wacom at wacom.com. We thank them, the makers of the new Wacom One. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode like, oh gosh, like this one. Dave, you gotta, you gotta hear this. We got this one uh, in from CCAD Student. Okay. CCAD, that's got to be an art and design uh, college, right? Uh, CCAD? Yeah, I would imagine art and design, yeah. Yeah. Uh, boy, nice way for us to thank this person. We're like, oh, yeah, it must be at some college somewhere. Uh, but anyway, uh, this person says, great insights, great hosts, a must-listen for webcomics creators, and a helpful resource for the larger community of artists looking to make a living on their creative talents. Dave and Brad have tons of advice on a weekly variety of topics, and their cheerful friendship is a joy to listen in on. 
Wow, that's nice. Yeah, that's very you. nice. That comes in from CCAD student, and I gotta say, that completely brightened my day. So and thank you, you so much. And did you notice the use of the phrase cheery friendship? So yeah. see, you do have a friend, Brad. You have at least <laughs> one friend. <laughs> well, I've got two now. I've got you and I've got our new friend from the Columbus College of Art and Design. You know what? Look at that. The thoughtfulness that Brad took, the, like like, a, like the flash using the speed force. He went and checked out what CCAD is, the Columbus College of Art and Design. All right. Well, and also thank you for the kind words. That does mean a lot to Brad and I. And it helps the show rankings in the algorithms with Apple anytime you rate and review the show. So thank you for doing that. And, of course, Comic Lab is made possible by your support on Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. Dave, what if Thanos had said, I'll, I can wipe out half of all humanity in a flash? And then the and then it's a crossover event with DC? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Now you've got to get DC's lawyers involved. Marvel's <laughs> got to get out there. There's a whole copyright dispute. Actually, the copyright lawyers would walk in, stop all of the uh, action. Everybody would get to live another couple of years until they worked all that all out. <laughs> what if I just thought of a funny one of... What if Thanos is like, as soon as I'm able to lose a few pounds and get this belt down one notch, I'm going to I'm gonna snap half the... And they're like, no, have this delicious donut, Thanos. No, that almost, Thanos. You remember those Hostess Cupcakes uh, uh, ads that were in the middle of uh, uh, comic books? Yes. That reads like one of those. <laughs> as soon as I lose a few pounds, I'm going to wipe out half of humanity. And it's like, well, try one of these Hostess fruit pies. Well, because you know how we were saying from a storytelling point, you need a physicality you need a like yeah. a physical event to trigger the storytelling moment yeah like you see him trying to notch the belt one more time and they're like no here and you just see thor diving with ben and jerry's you know like aiming for thanos's mouth like no luckily the day was saved by ant-man and chunky monkey